0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pavet Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, 59 minutes, and we expect on time arrival. Coming up on this flight, Rimowa thinks the luggage tag needs an electronic reinvention. American Airlines thinks GoGo's Wi-Fi is way too slow. Some calls should be banned altogether over US skies. Everybody seems to think the A340 needs to be scrapped as soon as possible. A pilot thinks anyone could land 737 after watching his video. Hall thinks it can teach you in 10 minutes via brain waves. We think a plan to annihilate time zones makes no sense at all. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the test seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-cancelling headphones. Flight 35 to Auckland. Oakland? Auckland, my neck of the woods? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, Oakland, California. I've never been to that airport. Yeah, not yeah. a lot of people have. Um, but, but you have. Obviously. I have. And, no, you know that's not fair. It's a, a, yeah, it's a good little airport, as you'll uh, as you'll hear, and has a a lot of history and a, and a good story to it. So uh, it was about time we covered
0: it. Looking forward, and you're going to that region very soon, right?
1: I am in about a month.
0: Uh, for first, a few thank yous because I forgot to actually give shout outs uh, because of lack of time in the past episodes, and now I'm like I have a huge backlog. First of all, I want to thank Chris Connor. He sent us an email that was more than a month ago so I really do apologize for not having uh, replied so far. He actually named us on the dailytech.com website. The title is 100 best most interesting podcasts for 2016 and we're number 27th.
1: Wow. Wow. That's actually really cool. That's yeah. quite an honor.
0: Yeah, exactly. So thank you so much Chris for that honor, and I've just replied to you before the show, so <laughs> thank you. Sorry for having overlooked that email. I'll be more diligent in watching that uh, inbox. Also, I uh, wanna thank, of course, Genk and I, as always, because he keeps sending us very interesting stories. I wanna mention, by the way, because I keep receiving stories, we can't cover it all because there's so many stories every week, of course, in aviation. We try to editorialize to make something that looks, uh, you know, interesting for those who actually love aviation, but also fun to have some cover some fun stories. So don't be sad if you cannot cover your story. Maybe it come in another episode. Maybe we just cannot do it. Please be keep assured. Yeah, exactly. We actually, especially again, I don't even have to ask him. He keeps doing it. Thank you, again. Alex Barrera is actually also listening to us and he told me a a story that's pretty interesting. He told me that as he was coming, he was in London and he flew from Madrid where he lives and at T4. Oh, he managed uh, to escape T4. T4 uh, in Madrid, right? That big, uh, big fat, huge terminal. He was asked by security to remove his hoodie. You know, usually when you have a hoodie, which is not the one that you can zip in the front, just like it's a pullover, they don't ask you to remove it. Alex but is said, a pretty no. suspicious looking character. <laughs> we have to put that out there. That's
1: unusual. I don't think I've ever had that happen to me.
0: Yeah, they say if it's a hoodie, you have to remove it. I don't know. It's just like know. maybe he was just uh, the, the security guy had a bad day. But, I mean, you know, it's not. I don't know. How do they judge people? It's almost like profiling. If you have a hoodie, you have to remove it. I don't know. Yeah, that's not cool. Anyway, Anton at Dare on Twitter sent me lots of information about that OK Go video we've uh, been talking about in the last episode. You know, that yeah. zero gravity one. First of all, he it says it's an Ilyushin 76. That was. What? Yes, that was actually made up as looking as a normal plane. No so they actually. Way. Yes. And he heard that, I gather, I'm not sure, Anton, so please correct me if I'm wrong, that he speaks uh, Russian. So it was the S7, the airline PR person that said that on a Facebook post.
1: <laughs> wow, because I've had the pleasure of crawling around in an uh, Illusion 76 in Muscat, and it's basically like the inside of the Millennium Falcon. It's it's kind <laughs> of like exposed... There's a cargo version, obviously not the passenger version. I don't think there are many passenger versions, but yeah, like exposed pipes and metal ladders that you climb up. And of course, it's got that wonderful bubble nose with the viewing area underneath it. That's a great airplane. I, well, cool. What a neat little piece of trivia
0: and he also said that it took 20 training flights first and then the recording was done in a single flight but of course each loop was 20 seconds so they had 20 seconds of recording when they were in zero gravity they went for another for 20 seconds so actually it was really one flight because you were asking the question was it one flight he also corrected me on something i will apologize because it shows that i haven't been keeping up with the news I remember I told you the trick of using the card from Aegean uh, for uh, getting faster track uh, status on Star Alliance. It's still good, but it's not as good as it used to be. Uh, according to him, it must have been pressure from Lufthansa because Lufthansa was like, hey, guys, it's too easy to get like a status in Star Alliance by going through a, a lesser, I mean by that, a smaller airline. And apparently it's now more difficult. So you can still do it. it uh, you still get faster gold status or any status for that matter, so well, fair incorrect. enough. Yeah, uh, talking about OkGo, you found a very interesting thread. They were actually on Reddit,
1: right? They were on Reddit, and they did a they did an AMA, very timely AMA, and they actually added a little bit more information to the flight because they have not only did they do the AMA, but they did a they have a great FAQ on their website. It's actually just genius how they did. It. So they did actually eight parabolas, so they had eight okay, consecutive periods of weightlessness, and to get the full take, and that took about forty five minutes to do. The video wasn't 45 minutes long. So what Obviously they not, did yeah. was they sped up the, the bits where they weren't weightless. So they, oh. took, But they had to do it using BPM, beats per minute, so that it would stay on with the music. So they sped it up and then slowed it down and then sped it up wow. five times. They did the, 21 flights to get this puked. done and 58 people puked. No, I, I, correction. <laughs> there were 58, as they refer to it, puke events. Um, <laughs> but none of the band nor the director um, <gasps> oh wow and they did it at a, at a cosmonaut training center oh,
0: that's um, awesome yeah that's and right. you
1: know kudos to them for,
0: for commitment to their art holy cow two more shout outs first uh, Eric Hoffman uh, he has a website called with husband in tow that's also oh, that's his- a great site Yes, also his uh, handle on Twitter. First of all, uh, he says that uh, he's saying hi from Singapore because he went to the Singapore air show. He's going to report from there. We're very jealous because very we should have jealous. been there and we're not. Uh, he actually tagged us on Twitter because he was flying there on his way. He was like, hey, hello. I mean, this guy's like, hey, 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 hey. Don't rub it in too much. <laughs> He also has a podcast, actually. Uh, so if you want to check it out, it's about travels. So I've listened to, to one episode. It's actually really nice, so I encourage you to go. I'll put, of course, the link in the show notes. Yeah, actually flown, because uh, we were talking about that, in I think, two episodes ago. He flown the 380 Lufthansa from uh, Frankfurt to Beijing and in business class. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the new business class from uh, Lufthansa, so I will probably ask Eric to come on the show once and try to tell me how this was, because I'm really interested. Last one, Taylor Moore from L.A. wrote on Facebook that he thanked us many, many times. That was a very... Very kind message because he's listening to us while he's stuck in the horrible traffic jams at LA. So thank you. And he says that he agrees that LAX is actually a horrible airport. <laughs> <laughs> I said it was improving. He mentions the the app from American Airlines. Now, it's a very cool features: When you are in an airport, uh, you can press on the app and directly zooms in into the terminal it can find your way within the terminal and that's apparently done from a company a startup called locus labs they uh, very cool they do find you your way to anything and uh so that's very cool i don't have the aa app so i haven't checked it out but that's really looks something that other apps should be doing because it's really something that helps us a lot so thank you so much he actually says i'm going to quit it Uh, You give a fellow AV geek a chance to geek out every now and then while (laughs) I That's that's
1: what makes us all worthwhile.
0: Thank you very much, Taylor, for Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. Really, thank you. Thanks a lot. Two updates from last episode, because as always, when we finish recording an episode, all the news are changing. (laughs) Yeah. So we said last week that there was no claims from the attack on that airliner in Somalia, but there was. Yes, almost pretty much straight after, as you said.
1: Al Shabab, who are a militant group based in Somalia, have come out and said, yeah, it was us. They emailed a statement saying that it was revenge for, quote, Western intelligence operations in Somalia. And I think a lot of the intelligence world is kind of like, all right, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Probably not, but duly noted. Thank you. Moving on. I think, yeah, no one is, has come out saying that, that this has been confirmed or not. But they, yeah, they said it was it was them.
0: Which is weird yeah. because they're claiming responsibility for something that didn't work. You know, anyone can claim responsibility. Maybe that's them. I mean, it's clearly a plot. So clearly someone did it. And, yeah. uh, oh, well, it's never fun to talk about this. So moving on, just one mention because Manchester Airport, which was our airport last week, one billion pounds transformation and expansion of the airport that was announced. One billion pounds. It's wow. It's a pretty big investment, actually.
1: But Heathrow can't get another runway.
0: <laughs> you had to mention that. But honestly, good for them. They want to, you know, anchor the number two spot in the UK as the second biggest, I wouldn't say airport, because in London, we usually count the airport network, right? Uh, yeah. So it's the second biggest airport network in the UK. So yeah, good for have, them. They have I could four think. airports under their management. Since we're going to Auckland and we're going to start now the news with a lot of news about the U.S., uh, American Airlines will do what United is already doing on its app. It's basically integrating with Uber. So when you arrive at an airport, uh, probably only in the U.S. for the moment at least, the app will directly allow you to book uh, mm. Uber to go wherever you want to go. That's That shows that Uber is really grabbing market share and also mind they, share They everywhere. make it
1: surprisingly easy, like having on some of the apps that we're working on, Looking at the, the API documentation, just to get a little nerdy for a second, it's surprisingly easy to build in that level of integration for Uber into your app. It's, it, they've done a great job with it. So I'm not surprised people are jumping on this.
0: Even Google actually allows you when you're doing Google Maps and you want to, one of the options Google Maps is train or traffic or whatever, and one is take an Uber. So it's really, they're really, really expanding. So we'll probably see other airlines doing that. I don't think there's any airline in Europe proposing that yet. I'm not sure. Somebody That's will weird, clearly, isn't it? yeah, maybe someone will correct me online uh, after I've said that. But the big one that everybody talked about was that American Airlines, the same company, is actually suing its Wi-Fi provider.
1: Yes, they, uh, American Airlines is suing GoGo over its quote-unquote crappy Wi-Fi. That's not <laughs> what American Airlines said. But they have filed suit against them and saying that they're going to switch to use the same satellite-based service that Virgin America and, and JetBlue use.
0: But, yeah, ViaSat, yeah.
1: ViaSat. But do, doesn't this sound like a
0: bargaining chip to you? I think they were probably locked in into the contract until a certain time. They're realizing that uh, GoGo's uh, broadband speeds in the air are not getting better. They want simply to escape the contract. And one of the ways to escape the contract is to say, or oh, you didn't deliver on the contract. So I guess maybe it's a way to say, you're attacking like, oh, you're so crappy. You're not delivering. Yeah. Let us out of the contract as fast as we can so we can go on on, on the asset. And we were discussing about that. You were telling me how fast we went from Wi-Fi as an option and like it's almost mandatory to have Wi-Fi now. Yeah, right? it's,
1: it really has gone so quickly. That if you don't have Wi-Fi, especially as a domestic carrier, it's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, AA has no choice but to actually improve the situation for its passenger experience. So people are expecting to have fast Wi-Fi. Is that good news for GoGo though? Yes, because I think it still it
1: still gives them a, a a market reach. If more and more airlines are going there, There's, they may lose American. But uh, they're also investigating satellites, by the way, because theirs is primarily, but not exclusively, ground based.
0: That's why holding them back, maybe.
1: Yeah, right. an extension of the of the kind of normal infrastructure we use for cell phones, but pointed up instead of you know out yeah. across the landscape.
0: It's amazing because they used to be basically everybody was talking about GoGo when Wi-Fi was introduced in our in our. Yeah, they were
1: certainly first to market, yeah, in a lot of yeah. the the technology that we use.
0: So now they have to. Uh, they probably have to implement these satellites pretty soon if they don't want to lose more market share. Yeah, I mean we'll see I mean, and that's uh, a I mean good luck to them. Either no, it's not. Obviously not. Uh, Skifter mentions that, and I've never seen that. I wanted to ask you: Have you ever seen in-flight Wi-Fi advertising?
1: Not in flight, but I, you know, Skifter, looking th- at this through the lens of airline only. But if you think about when we use the Wi-Fi on the underground, at the underground stations, Correct. it's, it's London, sponsored yes. by Virgin Media or somebody else. Um, it's definitely not unprecedented. But where it gets murky quickly is if you're paying for it, and then you are subjected to ads, I think that will bother a lot of, a lot of people. And that's kind of what this is, is like, you know, you've got to you've got a captive audience, and marketers love that type of thing, so they want to get involved so it's it's delicate, but sadly, I fear it's an inevitability
0: The air travel is almost almost about captive audience you're locked in an airport for two hours you're locked in a plane for several hours or whatever, and then you i'm I'm always surprised how marketers and others advertisers haven't been able to leverage that more because it's one of the only situation in life when I know beforehand that you Alex and you are going to be in an airport you are going to be in Saturday I guess in Heathrow airport because you're flying to the US and I know it there's no other possibility shops or whatever that you know for in advance, that you're going to be there. It's exactly,
1: exactly. But you don't want to over-egg the pudding, as it were. Of and, course not, yeah. And
0: try and do too much of
1: it, especially as sensitive as we are to ancillary charges.
0: Uh, still in the U.S., in the U.S. guys, apparently there is now a discussion to basically ban calls whilst you're flying. God, this would be great. <laughs> have you Have you ever really had people like shouting or being a disturbance? Once. And I've Skyped with
1: my, like when when, in-flight Wi-Fi was first coming out, like I Skyped with my dad and I've Skyped with, uh, you know, my wife to go, look, I'm in an airplane on my Wi-Fi. But it was more like video of me and I'm typing and she's talking and I can hear as opposed to me talking because I didn't want to be that guy. Um, But the cell coverage, like I don't know if you ever tried to make a cell phone using an in-flight cell network. So I tried call. once;
0: it cost me an arm and legs. So and the delay
1: again. is like you're talking to the International Space Station. It's not. Yeah, a the video. lag. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> For instance, when I am in Emirates, uh, they allow both that so they have uh, Wi-Fi and they have uh, calls, but they keep saying, first of all, that you're not supposed to have your phone on, you know, full rings on silent mode, of course, but also they say that if you were to talk, you have to keep, you know, be mindful of your fellow passengers. I've never had a situation where someone was really rude and was shouting, but I guess that if someone is thinking about that as a regulation, it must be that a lot of complaints must have arrived on their desk. And yeah. probably airlines don't want to police that because if you are the, the poor flight attendant and going to some obnoxious passenger that says, yeah, but I have, it's my right, I, you know, it's my freedom That's, to talk on the phone. And yeah, and
1: I guess they can always get around that from the uh, it's a federal offense to interfere with the requests of a, or the duties of a flight. Flight, uh, flight crew so but yeah yeah but then
0: then it's more you know then it's like more painful and you have to see. i mean the flight ends are not paid like royalty so you want as well i i get i get it honestly i've never i mean i've I've tried calls to see how it works but i never actually had the need to make calls when i was flying it's even long call yeah. maybe some people do i get it also honestly, i mean it's... when
1: was the last time you spoke on the phone it's 2016 <laughs> who the hell speaks uh... on a
0: phone <laughs> exactly <laughs> Apparently, if you're on an, an AA because they have crappy Wi Fi, you cannot even make a Skype call. So, anyway, that's that's solved. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, if you cannot make calls and if you have a crappy Wi Fi, uh, the way to do is go Qantas, uh, that's not in the US, although they fly there. Uh, they've actually done uh, tech talks in the sky. So basically like almost like startup pitches, I guess, on flight. They're not really the first ones to do exactly that. I remember there was Turkish did something like that. I think even BA, yeah, did, BA a did flight. That was like, a, that was
1: everybody in flight though.
0: Yeah, exactly. On a flight exactly. from San Francisco so, uh, to London. So that was from Sydney to San Francisco. So of course it was, you know, to kind of promote uh, Australian innovation to the Silicon Valley, et cetera. But I mean, these are fun. The thing I find a bit sad is that usually these things are one thing, almost like marketing. Yeah, like, uh, let's that's do. That's exactly uh, what it is. Yeah. Whereas uh, it could be much, much better. It could be some th- some kind of program that goes. I mean, I'm not saying every flight, but there could be something that let's say, repeated every month, we invite ten entrepreneurs to fly business class along with a few VCs and I don't know they have something more less of a marketing ploy more something that is you know a foundational I don't know I'm not criticizing Qantas here because nobody does it but I think it could be something that some airlines would be interested in actually if you fly on Turkish you can still go on the IFE you'll find the pictures from the startup of like it was two years ago you can still hear the, the founders pitch their startups on the current IFE. I'm not sure anyone actually goes and listens. Right back to the US, the TSA. We love the TSA, right? <laughs> Before we go to that one, I saw Max Gervitz yesterday. So he, he had a fund, so it was a VC. Uh, now he helps startups, uh, also helps uh, an angel network, so people who invest in startups, who those we don't know. And he was challenging us, and I will, I will invite him to uh, to this show once. He, he was challenging us. He was telling me. Paul, it's actually a better experience to fly domestic in the U.S. than it is to fly domestic in Europe. I think that you could make a
1: case for that at the top level of the U.S. domestic experience. So um, looking at, I might have to take a flight from San Francisco to New York next month, and all the airlines across the board have really upped their game. But if you're on the average, I don't, I don't know about that.
0: He says for him, he says that, as soon as you pass the TSA, basically, you're good. Whereas in Europe, you sometimes have immigration, and you have, like you mentioned, Frankfurt, as we mentioned many times as well, where you have sometimes two security for no reason. And he says, overall, in the US, it's one hassle, which is TSA, and now you can get pre-checked, and it's done. Uh, talking about pre-checked, TSA wants to basically make sure that a lot of people are pre-checked. I have pre-checked, and I like it. Whether it was 80
1: bucks, and I don't think being based in the UK, if I get my money's worth, but... I think if you fly regularly in the US, it's absolutely worth it because it, at the very kind of core of it, it gets you a dedicated security line where you don't have to take off your jacket. You don't have to take off your belt or your shoes. You don't have to take your liquids out of your bag or your laptops out of your bag. And you just kind of breeze through almost with like, it's what it used to be like, which is yeah. kind of ironic. <laughs> We're paying this 85 bucks or whatever it is a year to go back to what we, we used to have.
0: To, to UX experience, yes. But oh, I
1: like no. it. Um my worry is that if, what did they want, 25 million more people are doing it, then it won't be as fast or awesome. So,
0: you know, it's like fees. You'll certainly create like a VIP level of pre-check or something. you have to pay some extra or like miles or whatever. If you have gold, you can enter like a special line, you pre-check gold or something. A lot of <laughs> people diamonds. will do that. No, I'm sure. Exactly. I mean, besides the fact that I'm I'm joking around, I think it's potentially something people were ready to pay for. But I think it's still good news that it's they are trying to make it simpler for people to clear security because, and at least in the U.S., it seems more consistent. I'll grant that to Max more consistent across the board because a single country than sometimes in Europe where some airports say, oh, you can bring liquids. Some others say don't. Some others say iPads and Kindles out, but some will say no, you just leave them in the bag. And some say the shoes out, but some say no, you have to keep your shoes. And then depending on the type of shoes and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if you know how to travel, like you and me, we basically go to the common denominator and we know what we can and cannot do. But sometimes it would be nice to have like a common denominator in Europe in security. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a
1: There's no way that a service like this could be introduced in Europe because you have, as you say, so many different standards from airport to airport, let alone
0: country to country. Country. You're right. Uh, Still in the U.S., I don't know what to think about that. uh, (laughs) I'm I'm
1: glad I wasn't the only one who had that reaction.
0: (laughs) So this is a plan by a committee in Congress to privatize the skies in the U.S. So basically running the skies, so the FAA and all the bodies that run the skies – would be totally privatized yeah. from ATC, air traffic control, et cetera. I don't know what to think about this. Well, it's
1: what we have here in the UK. True. The ATC is entirely outsourced to NATs, and it works. So I think it's fine. I think we all, we've, we've said many, many times before, and it was highlighted in one of our earliest conversations with, a, with an air traffic controller, that something has got to change. Mm-hmm. And I think a private organization would be able to invest in the infrastructure and technology that's needed to kind of take this to the next level. But this conversation has been going on since Ronald Reagan was in the White House. Yeah, correct. Um, and kind of maybe even kind of crescendos when, when he was in the White House. So it's amazing to me that it's gone through a House committee, but I'm not holding my breath for anything
0: of any substance to happen in the next several hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> The one argument that is clear, like you just said about investing in infrastructure, is that the FAA is dependent on yearly budgets by Congress, meaning they have a hard time committing to long-term contracts because they still don't know what's going to be their budget in three years. Whereas if you're a private company, you can commit to a 20-year contract with whoever provider you want to work with. So that would probably untie the hands of the FAA and other bodies. That would be good. That would be good. We'll see probably a lot of resistance, to be honest. Probably also unions will resist because that would also mean that suddenly all those contracts, all the people working there become contractors from private companies and not anymore uh, public servants. So see uh, in airports in the US is where they are. We mentioned apps a lot. And I mentioned one from AA that was told us uh, by uh, Taylor earlier on. But uh This time, what is interesting here is that the Airports Council International North America, which is basically the the trade association of all the airports in the U.S., has chosen a partner. It's an app called AirGrub. Basically, it helps you locate food in airports before your flight. So, yeah,
1: and you can also pre-order and pay for. Yes, which is (laughs) good if you got a tight connection.
0: I don't think it's like mandatory. Meaning, I don't think airports have to use it. Uh, It's. I don't think so, at least, because that body is more like uh, it's a trade association, so it can like force all the airports. But I guess it's good for their startup because suddenly, uh, you know, they have access to all the airports in it, the U.S. I think and, that's the that's the key thing here is that it gives them access uh, as opposed to having to go
1: to each restaurant or food outlet individually and negotiate terms and all that, that they do this kind of blanket thing. but. I I like the idea of you know I'm I'm transiting I'm taxiing to the gate in my current thing I know I've got a really short wait before my next flight but I'm really jonesing for I don't know Shake Shack at Terminal Four in JFK that I can get it but. On the flip side, I don't know about you, but there's no – not that many airport eateries where I'm like, I must have that. (laughs) Exactly. Burger King or or Dunkin' Donuts. I can get that anywhere.
0: And the other criticism we were doing – I mean I was asking you, I think it was 10 episodes ago – do you download a lot of airport apps, which, to which you replied, no, and I don't do either because I don't want to have 25 different apps about each airport. I already have enough apps about the airlines, right? So the flip side of having AirGrab is that if you have one single app that works in every single airport in the U.S., I'm not saying I will use it, but probably I will be interested to see how it works. Whereas if I had to download the JFK app with a JFK airport in the, I don't know, Detroit app with a Detroit airport, et cetera, at one point, I'll just give up. Yes. So maybe there's something to that. Talking about that, Miami is just releasing its own app for its own airport. And we said both when we were covering Miami as an airport, I think it was episode seven. Oh, uh, yeah, the 007, the James Bond episode. And uh, also later on that they were the first in the US to have a fully beacon-ready airport. And actually they are releasing their app, which will exactly use these beacons. You'll be able to know of every single shop, every single restaurant, et cetera. So great idea. Will you download the app because of that? Uh, no. Yeah, see? Uh, <laughs> I, but you know definitely. what? I have I I, I am going to do it. I've got a lot of
1: flights coming up, and a few in the U.S., a lot in the U.S. in the next two months. So I'm going to download it, and I'm going to try it, and I will report back.
0: Okay, do that. Let's do that. To be also fair with Miami, I think the beacons are open for anyone to use, meaning other apps could, so AirGrab could actually use the platform the beacon existing cool. beacons and others. So that's, that I think it's good for innovation, if, if airports do not restrict the infrastructure to one single provider, that's actually good. For instance, I don't know, so I'm not taking the stance here, For uh, Frankfurt Airport has beacons that allows, if you download the Frankfurt Airport app to do the wayfinding within the airport, I'm not sure if those beacons are open for anyone to use. So maybe they it are, by the It seems silly
1: if the, if the airport is putting in the infrastructure that they wouldn't want as many people as possible to use it
0: to, to make yeah, the might...
1: airport experience better.
0: Yeah, but they might want as many people as possible to download the Frankfurt airport. Uh, That's always kind of the flip side of the argument, which I can totally see a comedy say, no, no, we invested, it's our own app, right? So they have to use our own app. Anyway, the reason I wanted to mention this one is because of this big spat between the US and the ME3, so the three airlines in the Middle East. uh, So they're always like, oh, but, you know, first class. But first class doesn't exist anymore, shouldn't be existing anymore. They all need a very rich... Golf countries can afford first class. Yeah, well, United is adding a three-cabin service from New York to the West Coast routes. I think, is it Delta already has it? Well, here's the crazy thing. As I was looking for... At
1: these flights from San Francisco to New York that I might be on ne- next month, everybody has upped their game substantially. They all, so American, Delta, United, and JetBlue all have lie-flat seats on their trunk route. So LA and San Francisco to New York. Uh, and they all look really, really good.
0: good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm happy. It shows that there is a market for people actually using these, which also kind of diminish their stance like, you know, like I just said, you know, uh, if Emirates is first class, it can't, it's just because they're subsidized. You know, maybe, you know, what? maybe actually people pay for that because if they're ready to pay for a life flight uh, between San Francisco and New York, maybe people are ready to pay for life flights between New York and Dubai. It's yeah. all entirely possible. I'm not sure if you'll be able to use that app doing these trunk crowds in premium, but have you seen this new app, I guess it's new, called OneGo, that allows you to pay a one fee and get as many flights as you want. This sounds like deja vu.
1: I have a feeling that one of an, in one of our first episodes, we talked about a service that offered
0: this. Yes, me too, but it was not called the same one. And yeah, and so I'm wondering what the hell
1: happened to that other one. Um, <laughs> and so, these, yeah, these guys will... You 1500 bucks, and you get unlimited flights within a region and you'd have to pay 3000 bucks to get a month to get unlimited flights uh, across the U.S. on, quote unquote, many major carriers, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> I sense
0: you're kind of doubtful.
1: I just don't see the market, but that might be their kind of silver yeah. bullet. I didn't see Alex, the market you are, for sure
0: there. You are the market, right? Because you are the guy who just said you're going to do like lots of flights in the U.S. in the next two months. So, maybe
1: actually, well, maybe the, top, the, works. <laughs> the top comment on this made me laugh. It says, I'm going to see what this is about for one month and then reverse the credit card charges. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if there's, um, you, have to book every, you have to book seven days in advance, which eliminates a lot of business travelers. And you can only have four one-way bookings in the system at any time. And I think for business frequent travelers, that's, that's just not going to work. They need that flexibility. And I also remember that you don't accrue miles for these flights or something that was like a
0: deal breaker. Oh, yeah, that would be a deal breaker for a lot of people then. I'm not sure, but that might be a lot on deal- on these guys,
1: people. apparently you do, but certainly on the last one uh you, you didn't
0: but yeah i don't I don't know I'd be interested to see how this works we should we should talk about that when we invite uh, someone with revenue management because I also have i'm not sure about the economics of such an app. do they make money out of, because if they're screwing you, meaning sorry to say that because I'm sure one go guys you're not screwing anyone, but I mean if the price at the end you can find better deals. By doing your own research and not doing this, you you might lose a little bit of time to do the research, but is that worth the price difference? I'm not sure. Exactly.
1: I think that there will be a handful of passengers that they lose a lot of money on, but they also make a lot of money on. The rest of the people who will sign up for the service, do a
0: few flights, go, wow, and then forget about it. The the app looks pretty well done, though. Uh, And I love the article that says the Netflix of jet setting. I'm not sure that's the case. But I mean, good luck to them. And uh, yeah? we'll revisit that when we have someone because we're planning to invite a guest who's in revenue management at some point. So we'll probably try to reassess that because I'm very interested to see if he or she will think that it makes any kind of sense <laughs> to create that. Uh, talking about any kind of sense, uh, Alex and I, and I repeat that every time we go to there, are not very big fans of uh, smart carry-ons and smart luggages, et cetera, et cetera. This time it's slightly different again, our Rimowa, very famous uh, luggage manufacturer. You know, if you see them on the belt and any uh, baggage delivery, recognize them. You know, they usually this kind of briefcase that looks like there's a uh, lots of money in it or something. But they came up with an electronic tag. So instead, you know, the tag the crew will actually the luggage tag, they, yeah. They, but instead of having that, you'll have an LCD. I guess it's an LCD screen on the luggage no. itself. <laughs> Why? gone? Cost, man. Yeah, I know. I mean, they say they already have agreements with Lufthansa. It means that he might be working uh, soon at airports, at least in Germany, I would guess. There's also something I don't understand. So does that mean that that LCD screen is always on? Because, you know, once you actually put the luggage in check, in it has to go through all these carousels and there's like 3D scanning techniques to get your luggage in the right. Don't get me wrong. I think
1: this is really cool from a design and ergonomic perspective. It looks beautiful. It's very cool. I just, why are we so obsessed with overcomplicating already simple procedures? I think the introduction of RFID tags into into bag tags was revolutionary and helped a yes. lot. Yes, yes. Um, and I think if you ask a, a bag handler to the person who manages Terminal Five at Heathrow, they would say this is that's huge. But I don't understand the problem it solves.
0: I, I'm not sure either. I mean, again, this is a very large company, so unlike a lot of the other stuff that comes off uh, Kickstarter, this one is an actual product launched. Or is the existing product by a very large company yeah that's so,
1: that's interesting and the, and their their liftons are like you say is official launch partner,
0: so maybe there's something i don't think it will because it still requires a lot of i, I don't know it might not see the light in any other countries and or airports outside of Germany I mean, I hope for them, but I've, yeah, record, no. I mean,
1: as 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 my wife reminds me every single day, just because I think it's a bad idea doesn't mean that it is. So who <laughs> who knows what's gonna happen with this? She's I, smart. I'm, she's really smart. She is. She's way smarter than I am.
0: I'm excited to be proven wrong on this one. At least this one that doesn't have all the stupid batteries and wires, exposed wires and other stuff. So, yeah, but uh, this has a battery, and yeah, I, exactly. I was thinking about that. If the LCD screen has to stay on. Or does it automatically recognize it's inside a container. It can actually turn off. But it still has or a battery. Does, or maybe someone has to press the button to see it. But then that means that maybe the carousel. I don't know. Anyway, this—I'm
1: really good luck to, to that. that. To hear I'm
0: still interested to see one. Or I hope to see one since I often transit via Germany and so fly Lufthansa. So I hope to see one one of these days and to report on how it is. And if yeah. any one of you is planning to buy one and will travel with, please let us let know, us know yeah. how it is. Because we're really interested. So uh, we had a comment uh, of our friend that is going to the Singapore Air Show. We're really, we should have been there. I know, right? I keep saying that. <laughs> we're very, we're not always very good at keeping track of all these shows and that we should be uh, going to. Also, because we have, you know, we work, we have other stuff to do that recording podcasts and geeking out in airplanes. But <laughs> we should actually, you know, make our way to, and this one is one actually not to miss. So, of course, it's very Asia-centric. I'll start with something that, you know, our biggest entertainer in the airline industry, our dear friend, Al Baker <laughs> of Qatar Airways, he already made comments, of course, kind of criticizing Singapore Airlines on their own turf. He says pretty bluntly that Qatar will never allow the gap between them and Singapore to close. So he thinks it's, they're much better than Singapore. There's no way Singapore will ever get to them. This... <laughs> 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 that dude... Yeah, he's he's always always so blunt, which also is why we like, because... I mean, we like... He's he's like
1: the one trip of our generation, right? (laughs) Every generation of airlines need to have somebody who's like brilliant, but outspoken to the point of sort of megalomaniac cartoon evil.
0: And he's done it. He also says that... We have decided now that we will get an IP, so a patent basically, on all new products that we are putting in our airplanes. They will be launched across their feet and basically nobody will be able to copy them.
1: Uh, that I mean, that Why seems not? a
0: reasonable use of patents. But it also means that they're developing, because he already said many times that they're developing new seats uh, and that they're. They can replace basically first class by a new business seat that will be so good. They will be unseen in the world. I mean, you know, all big words he's always using. <laughs> but it means that they are creating that themselves. They're not relying on our usual partners. ODAC, yes, that, cetera, that so. seems
1: to be the, uh, the, the fashion these days.
0: Uh, you've never flown them either, right? Not yet. So I want to fly them. I hear they're a great product. But are they that much better than Singapore Airlines? Probably a little bit right now. But yeah. Will Singapore Airlines never cut to them? Nah, I'm not that sure. I mean, Singapore is one of the best companies in the world. That's a pretty bold statement. There's a lot of confidence in, in that statement. The Singapore show is going on while we record. So there's no such big news yet. We'll report on that when we record next time. The big fear, though, is that since the economy is not doing that great, there's a lot of fear that... Of course, felt there's not going to be that many orders this time and that, you know, companies are hesitant buying new airplanes because of the uncertainty of the markets. And at the same time, that's more interesting, it's, a lot are saying that the growth uh, in aviation, commercial aviation is coming from Asia. and they, We've seen like these massive orders coming all across Asia, there's been, of course, from India, etc., there are some comments that say that some of the airlines won't be able to actually complete those orders. Some airlines will have to might, maybe cancel part of these orders because across the world, the airlines with the less profitability are all located in Asia. And, and not only that, this is this is
1: coming out of IATA, that it is an intensely competitive environment there Absolutely. as well. I mean, you think about the number of airlines that have started up in that region in the last five years. it's It's incredible. And... Times are good in Asia. Fuel cost is low, but is it sustainable? And will, like you say, will they be able to fulfill those orders when the bill comes? This will be a, an interesting time to see. What, they kind of close this article by saying that one area that seems to be reasonably insulated from that, despite a general downturn in their economy, is China. That there's yes. still enough of a market and a well, the growth, of, the growth too, yeah, market to, yeah.
0: to to really uh, fulfill these these orders. A few news about Asia first. Uh, ANA is going to have a first class in its A380. So that's a goal oh, for you, that's Alex. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so uh, because there were a lot of comments, will they go for a high-density aircraft or not, they actually are going in three class. So that'll be interesting. They also show that probably these A380 will be used for premium routes, so they probably maybe even come to London. We'll see what ha- what happens there. Uh, though again, my flight from London to uh, uh, Haneda was not that full, so I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, that they might not sense. justify a 380. Yes, uh, a lot of people say it could they could actually simply go to Hawaii because ah, Hawaii is a very yeah, a very popular market. destination to for Japanese, especially for people that are getting married for the either the marriage or the honeymoon. Yep. So maybe that that will make sense then. Um, the Philippines Airlines, I mentioned it because I used to live in the Philippines. I have a little bit of a soft spot for them because they're not a great airline, but I really hope that they will improve. And they are, they've just actually acquired A350s. So yes, very good for exciting. them. Thank you. I hope that, uh, because that might actually make me fly them, try them once uh, again. <laughs> uh, Thai Airways is actually finding its A340. I mean, the A340 is suddenly going out of fashion at the fastest Speed I've ever seen. Yeah, I've never you know, been a huge fan of that. Airplane. No, no. I mean, you don't like the lanky type of you know design of the aircraft. It's I like how of, quiet it is, but that's about it. But you know, it was quite popular. Not, of course, seven four seven popular or whatever. But it was many airlines had them. But now they're all basically trying to ditch them as fast as they can. So Thai is basically grounding these airlines because they just cost too much in fuel. Yeah, they've ne- they never really lived up to the promise of their uh, their performance specs, if you will. The other that is doing that, that drives us back to uh, to Europe, Lufthansa wants to retire its A340s as quickly as they can. And they have a lot, don't they? Don't they? Yeah, they yeah. have a lot. Replacing them with A350s. Ah. Basically, the A350 might be a aircraft 47s, of, Gosh darn it. Uh, <laughs> one day. One day. Well, you know what? They are four engine planes. I think that's yeah. the thing, right? The four engine planes are really out of fashion these days. I don't know what to do, man. I don't know. I mean, uh, Genkanai I just sent me actually a few minutes ago that he was in a um, China Air and he, he took a picture of the you know in-flight magazine. They have seven four seven eights. That's good. So we should fly them as well. Yeah, I've never flown on them. I'd like to. Uh, so Lufthansa, we mentioned that was at least wow fifteen episodes ago. We're talking about how Lufthansa was trying to basically move most of its operation. Towards Eurowings. So basically, move into a more low cost structure, most of its operation, and keep the premium routes. Yes. Munich, ma- mainly basically, flights that leave long haul, they leave from Munich and Frankfurt, and some from Düsseldorf as Lufthansa. That created all the freaking uh, strikes we've been having in the past two years. Yeah. And having a hard time delivering on a strategy that hurts their profitability. Do you think I, they will be ever able to do so? I think they will be, but I'm actually actually
1: worried about the future of Lufthansa. They're really struggling and they're really in a in a tight spot because they're getting squeezed, as we've mentioned in other uh, episodes, from, from all angles. And this was sort of supposed to be a massive strategic realignment and it, it's not working. And
0: then they've got battles with the unions, as they always do, seems to be in perpetuity. I, I'm worried about them just by looking at a fuel bill that's interesting there's a comparison I'll put the link in the show notes of the average fuel bill for for airlines and Lufthansa has the highest fuel bill of them all because I can't believe it yeah Singapore is actually one of the ones that has the cheapest ones uh there was this very strange story about that very strange aircraft coming out of nowhere seemingly in Zimbabwe so the headline is Dead
1: body in millions of South African rand, the, the <laughs> currency that they use in South Africa, found on plane. This whole thing, as you said, sounds like the, the plot of a Die Hard movie. It's <laughs> an unmarked – I can't – is it a DC-10? App- apparently, at in Harare in Zimbabwe, the imp- airport staff saw blood dripping from this airplane. It was going from Germany to South Africa, and they found de- a dead body in millions of South African rand. And apparently the plane, the it's a US owned plane mm-hmm. being used by the South African Reserve Bank. They think that the the body was a stowaway, but I guess it's it's prompted a lot more questions about where is this money going from? And where's it going to?
0: And who is this person? Yeah, very, very strange. I I simply love the picture. of course, the the, the story is I mean, you never want to hear about a dead body unless it's a, a Singapore from Newark to Singapore. No, I'm kidding. Uh but the plane itself—it's really something you'd see in a movie, like totally unmarked, totally white. I would see that in, in an airport. I things either a training aircraft that they use, you know, for fire drills, or it's something fishing going on with it. It's so no, all. it's a—it's a, a, it's an MD11. A little digging, I found this.
1: It's an MD11 from Western Global Airlines, which is a, a charter company used based in America, and they look brand new because all of their planes have been delivered in the last year. They still build MD-11s? No, I mean, these are, these are 25-year-old airplanes, oh. but, but they've received them all in the last, uh, in the last year. So they, they seemingly are a relatively new outfit, but with not much of, a, of a,
0: presence. a presence. But it's been impounded in Zimbabwe. Yep. If nobody wants it, we could actually take it take over and actually put a big layover painting on That's it. That's
1: an inevitability.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, we'd prefer a 747, though. In that case, it was, sadly, somebody died within the plane. What happens if a pilot dies or if two pilots die in a 737? And actually, someone <laughs> came up with a full answer to that. Yeah, this guy on Laughing Squid, which is
1: a great site, uh, he he put together this. Uh, and he's a pilot. He, he put together a video tutorial for non-pilots on how to safely land a Boeing 737-800 and it's like how to talk to air traffic control, how to put the autopilot on, and even how to manually land on a runway. There was a Quora question that prompted this, and in the past, a lot of people have said it's an impossibility. Without training, you wouldn't be able to do it. And this guy, a, disproves that, um, and b, I, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I mean, I've got you know a few hours flight experience, and I reckon I could have a whack at it if someone was talking, talking me through it. And there was also that, that recently there was a video of a Russian flight attendant in a simulator being talked through the process of doing something. And she did a great job. She landed it beautifully. But this
0: is great. It's great content. Look at the video. You'll understand that it's you could actually do it. Or maybe you'll be completely stressed out and panicked and you'd rather have a parachute. <laughs> but it's, 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 actually, it's actually possible. Alternatively, if there's no pilots anymore, uh, and if you don't want to learn how to actually do it by watching the video, there's now a way to learn to fly a plane via brainwave patterns. Wow. So I'm not exactly sure how it works. It's it's you know it's in Curse, files. curse file is someone with someone who does future studies. So these are actually very interesting news. It's not something that applies today, but it shows that you could learn how to fly a plane by having the input directly to your brain and probably other stuff, not, not only, not amazing. only flying. That's so amazing. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I don't know when we'll get there. Probably we'll get robots flying planes before we get people getting to fly planes with brainwaves activation or something. But that's actually pretty amazing. So if, if you don't want to learn how to save a 737 without pilots, maybe you should just give a call to these guys and try to have some implants in your brain and learn to to fly very quickly. If somebody wants to reach out, I'd like to learn to fly a 747 in under 10 minutes. If I could do that, I'd be very <laughs> yeah, happy. Yeah, me to. too. <laughs> um, now, something that created a little bit of fuss on my on my wall on Facebook, there is a plan to destroy time zones uh, it's not the first time we hear about it obviously there's been many you know people are discontent with the time zones and we do suffer over time zones as long-haul travelers because you suffer off uh, jet lag obviously but also when you try to reach someone across the world you have to kind of At what time is your time to my time for that Skype meeting? It takes forever. And there's a plan here to say, let's have a single time zone in the world. I just think it's complete nonsense, but I wanted to have your take on that. Yeah, I do
1: too. I I think it's nonsense as well. I, I get what they're saying, but it doesn't work on a practical level. I mean, even if it's for eliminating those scheduling things, it's still the time when you would sleep because it's dark somewhere.
0: The point would be, it doesn't matter that it's three, let's say it's 3 a.m. and 3 a.m. for some people could be noon, and 3 a.m. for some people could be in the middle of the night. So there's no link anymore between the time on your watch and the actual state of the sun above your head. First it'll be a huge fight. Who gets the noon? So who gets the twelve equals noon? Right. That plan calls for us in the UK, so we'd be very happy we won't have to change our habits. But I mean, people have have gone to war for less than that. So this is, first of all, that's and then there's an international day change. How do you do that with yeah. no time zone difference? I it's, just don't. <laughs> it's an it's an interesting academic exercise, and that's it. But it's it's funny how when I mentioned that on on, on Facebook. How many people react to that? Because like, it's really something that bothers people. And one of the things that bothers them the most is obviously the jet lag. Uh, do you suffer from jet lag? Depends the direction I'm going to. It's I, worse. It's always worse normally. I'm never. I I've certainly not immune to it. People ask me, Paul, how do you deal with jet lag? One of the ways that is proven to be quite effective is besides not drinking alcohol, not overeating, whatever, it's to time your last meal between Eight and twelve hours before the time of when you're supposed to have your breakfast as destination, that kind of forces your body to go into a more sleepy mode. So that's why you're not supposed to eat in the plane, uh, especially on long haul. That yes. kind of works. Some people take melatonin, which is uh, yeah, that's subplice- worked for me in the past when I get there. But I think I
1: agree. The f- food and sunlight, I think, are yeah. the critical weapons in the f-
0: in fighting jet lag. The new solution it was on the on the Economist was a way to play with the sunlight. So instead of, of course, you cannot control the sun. I mean, not yet. Maybe the Iron Man will be able to one day. But what they say is that if you have very bright flashing lights, an algorithm that flashes to your face, it can reduce the time to adapt to a time zone by a very big multiple. So usually we say it depends on people. It says one time zone equals one day, or sometimes it's three times one day. But it's really a long period to yeah. adapt back. With this method, you'd be able to basically beat jet lag in under hours, basically, and not days. I don't know if it's gonna ever going to work. I mean, I, I, I'd be happy to try it, to be honest. Yeah, anything, frankly. <laughs> and yeah, especially because as we're getting older, it's getting actually harder. Is this is true. Try doing it with kids. <laughs> <laughs> they are the reason then your, your sleep pattern is all fucked up, right? Yes, yes. You know how to be jacked. They don't understand. They just no. don't want to wake up. Right? I'm awake and I want to eat. I don't care what time it is. <laughs> so uh, two aircraft, one aircraft, the one that we're actually waiting for. Uh, it's the C-Series, but apparently it's not doing that well at Bombardier, right? No. In, in fact,
1: it's kind of proven to be too late that they finally got it off the ground, literally and figuratively. Uh, they, Bombardier are cutting 7,000 jobs in the next uh, two years. Wow, uh, which is terrible. Air Canada, in a sh- shred of good news, have have signed a letter of intent to purchase about forty five of the C series. But you've got to wonder because they didn't get a single order for this airplane in twenty fifteen, not one. Um, yeah, and so you have to wonder what the incentives for Air Canada were here. I mean, if they got a sweet deal, if it was came from the Canadian government because obviously Bombardier is a is a Canadian. Uh, company, so it's difficult times. You have to you have to wonder if they're going to make it.
0: We'll probably see the C series uh, because it's now it's been greenlighted. But yeah, I I hope they survive because it's nice. Again, we say that in every episode to have more competition is always nice. But also because it it looks like a pretty cool airplane. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to see it. Really, I'd like to see it. I'd like to fly it. And like, uh, so yeah. But like you said, not that many. Uh, people have actually even ordered it even no. before the lack of orders it's not that many companies have not actually many ordered at all so and those who did order didn't order that many too bad for for the the job losses, because it's never fun to hear that no. a few the last three news will be about airports as we started uh, we start with manchester we'll finish with three airports before going to auckland First, and that's uh, LCY Lucy, the favorite airport of Alex here in in London, or even in the UK. Great airport. They've been on sale for quite a while already. It's uh, it's not that's not new, but apparently uh, their bidding process has gone to up to two billion pounds. So actually, it's a very actually worthy airport. Two billion pounds.
1: It's a it's a great airport. Uh, You know they've they've had a lot of problems with with some expansion uh, uh, endeavors just going through the, the normal regulatory. Hurdles and noise and all that, but there's a great little airport. And one of the people involved is uh, is Lee Ka Shing, who is uh, exactly. Asia's richest man and and uh, one of Hong Kong's uh, famous sons. It's going to be interesting to see who actually gets this. And and it's the end of the week is is the is the deadline for bidding, so we should have an answer by the end of the year.
0: Then Dubai, I mentioned it because it's a, it's an airport, of course, I transit quite a lot at. Also, because it's a very nice airport, they are about to open Concourse D. So, I mean, the denomination of these terminals at Dubai Airport DXB are always a bit confusing because it kept changing over the years. Terminal 1 is Concourse C, Terminal 3 is Concourse B and A, and Terminal 4 is Concourse D. I mean, it's complicated, but basically there will be a new bit of the airport added. It won't look like the current one with these oblong terminals. It's a, it's a very different type of terminal. What that means, it means that I'll probably never see it. Concourse C, A, B, C will be only for Emirates, and everybody else will be at Concourse D, that new airport. So if you fly through Dubai or to or from Dubai, you'll see those differences coming pretty, pretty soon. It looks like a very, very efficient, a very nicely done terminal. If you look at the map, there's no more room to grow. Yeah. I don't think... Which uh, is why they're opening the the new airport. Yeah. And since we always ask the question, is it a good airport for layovers at the end of our show, the list for the best airports to sleep at 2015 has been released. Have you seen it? Or do you agree? Well, <laughs> yes,
1: I do agree with the list. And so the article was in the Telegraph, but it was based on data from this phenomenal website. And I'm so happy that this even exists it's called sleeping in that, Yes, And it's like a really, really rich resource for doing exactly that. And I get to test it out because... On Saturday night, I get to spend the night at JFK. Oh, wow. Yeah, because my, my flight gets in at 9.30 and I have a 6 a.m. flight out. And for those of you that know New York, it's at least two hours to get into Manhattan if the traffic is being unfriendly, which it always is. There's no point in paying the inflated prices for a a hotel for what will probably end up being about four hours. So I'm just going to chill at JFK
0: for a few hours. Do you have to, so will, you have to yeah, switch terminals? Yes. In which terminal will you see, the one you arrive in or the one you're departing from?
1: Well, this is a good question. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) the only lounge that open uh, 24 hours is past security in in one of the terminals I'm not flying out of, so that's basically useless. I don't know yet, and I'm not going to publish it in case I get turfed out for saying, ah, we were waiting for you.
0: <laughs> I can I can publish this episode after you actually go there, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but put it this way, JFK does not make the
1: top 50 best places the airports to sleep in. I'm not hugely excited about this no, prospect.
0: No. I mean, the, the, the one they put at number one is no surprise, Shanghai. Yeah. Um, it keeps being the number one airport in the world. Incheon, same thing, always ranks very high in the rankings at the number two or number three. 30 is Helsinki. That's a good uh, You sadly won't take Fienaer to try it out. Most of them we have covered, Vienna, Munich, etc. But Tallinn, I've never been to the one in Tallinn, so I want to know. Arlanda uh, will cover it one day. So yeah, it's another surprising list. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes and also the link to that website. So I'm going to start with a question. Is Oakland a good airport to sleep at, to take a layover at? Uh, no.
1: No. (laughs) it's not it's oh poor oakland it's so if you're not familiar with the bay area uh there are three major airports san francisco obviously san jose and which is in in the south bay and oakland which is in the east bay which is where i've spent a lot of my life it's not the best airport in the world but it is an interesting airport for sure it's got a really storied history it was opened in 1925 and dedicated by Charles Lindbergh. And then because it had for its time, a really, really long runway, a whopping 7,000 feet, it became the launch point for a lot of historic flights. So Charles Kingford Smith's historic flight uh, from the US to Australia, and it was where Amelia Earhart left from on her ill-fated trip around the world. Boeing had their Boeing School of Aeronautics there in the in the late twenties, so that was really the first flying school, which then kind of turned into this huge civilian air air training. It was it was run by the U.S. Armed Forces, and during World War II became the, uh, Oakland Naval Air Station, and then it kind of and during the Vietnam War is where a bunch of troops, a lot of troops left from because uh, it was one of the closest points to Southeast Asia. So it's it's had this really really interesting history, and while the Passenger services have ebbed and flowed. United pulled out a long time ago and shifted their big maintenance facility to across the bay to San Francisco. Francisco yeah. FedEx have a big cargo base there, and it's one of the busiest air freight terminals in the U.S. Uh, Southwest have a huge presence there and fly to about 20 destinations. Uh, and then JetBlue fly out of there uh, and a few other, few other. Allegiant have a pretty heavy presence there, Alaskan. Delta have a couple of destinations out of their spirit to Valaris. I, I, I
0: think I think JetBlue is the only one who does the trunk route. It's the only one who actually goes to and from New York from JFK. I think
1: uh, it was where JetBlue started in the Bay Area, and then they moved to San Francisco when Virgin America came
0: along. But exactly, I was about to say that. go ahead. I know what we're going to say
1: they, they've had they've had a few international services that have come and gone. But Norwegian fly London Gatwick to oakland
0: i don't think they've actually started they started in may
1: but it's out for sale okay yeah this is great and also to stockholm and then oslo is is and that's 787s
0: all three of those that makes it a very good deal then to go because norwegian is an airline that is very 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 competitive yes and uh, like we mentioned in the last episode how expensive it was to go from the u.s to the u.s from uh, the uk that might be a very competitive product to try
1: yeah they they have um it's very regional traffic in general, so that's a nice, a nice little little change. It's got a fantastic, like museum, uh, not on mm-hmm. site, but just like a three minute taxi ride away on the on the perimeter road. There's an in and out close by if that's your jam. Which for <laughs> most people coming to California, uh, it absolutely is. Getting out is actually really easy because they have this BART, which is Bay Area Rapid Transit, which is kind of this rail system. It's not subway and it's not a train. That goes through most of the Bay Area connects directly now with these kind of autonomous robot pods from the terminal itself right to the Oakland Air- Oakland Coliseum BART station. So, in terms of connectivity, it's great. And for me, getting to to family in the East East Bay, it's a very convenient airport. And I, you know, it's it's the little airport that could. It's like the the the, the younger brother of the two big kids in the area. I'm very
0: <laughs> fond of it. Would you fly there with Norwegian, or is it something you would actually try? Yes, in fact, we looked in
1: it, but um, until Norwegian figure out the prices for their ancillaries, it, it's
0: not that much cheaper. Okay, you said not a great opera to layovers, as in you'd actually basically go to your family, but do you think uh, and sleeping there would not make much of a, of a sense because no, it's a regional area.
1: No, yeah, exactly, and there's not many instances where you would do a layover because the the traffic is so regional, um you may be there for a couple of an hour or so when you're changing from one southwest flight to another, but there's not much opportunity for for a for a <laughs> for a layover.
0: I'll definitely consider it when I'll come next to San Francisco then, because as people know, I don't really like to fly United, so yeah <laughs> that will be a, a good alternative. on that, Alex, so you are flying to uh, both uh New York, like you just hinted at, and Boston. That's right field research you will report back in our next episode about your uh, which airline are you flying with uh, I am flying on BA there and back and I have two legs
1: on JetBlue nice Yes. so you'll tell that. us
0: all about that in the next episode and also about your layover at GFK, because I won't forget <laughs> yeah. you want to know about this guys happy travels safe flights guys on behalf of layovers and the entire crew we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today and we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.